Hop in your peas. Alright. Let's get this open. Nope, not that. Shit. Your mom. Should I listen to it? <laughs> you want to. Listen and follow. Alright. Alright, welcome to our very first main podcast of Semper Paratus, Semper Militaris. Uh, if you haven't listened to the little intro podcast, I would recommend doing that. That kind of gives the starting point for Don and his career. Um, as we kind of said, he spanned 20 years from everywhere from Traverse City to Detroit to Mobile, Alabama, Alaska, Chicago. So he's been around. Um, we're going to start again kind of with boot camp and we're going to start just plugging away. So, uh, I know you said boot camp was kind of a wake up call. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> and sounds like day one was a uh, kind of shit your pants time. It was. It was a. Uh, it was. Uh, there were come to Jesus meetings and a, what the hell have I done? All kinds of horrible, horrible thoughts running through your head. You know, um, I was eighteen, but geez, oh Pete. <clears throat> I, I was not ready for, for for what everybody described as a marine boot camp with just the, the scream and the profanity. I mean, it was just it was just amazing. And, and we were never called people. We were never called coasties. We were maggots. We were garbage. We were just lower than low. It was really looking back at it, and even during it, we'd we'd all sit around and laugh, you know, and hey, this guy called me garbage today, and we'd all laugh, you know, but <clears throat> at the time, you're being called garbage and doing push-ups and all that stuff, it's it's not fun. Um, I remember the the very first time, and the, the one the one thing my dad always told me was, whatever you do, don't volunteer. And the very first time I had a chance in boot camp, I volunteered. <laughs> at the time, I, I smoked cigarettes, and at the time, you, you had your cigarettes, but they had to be in your sock and all this other, you wouldn't allow anything in your pockets. And we're all in, in the, the one classroom, and the, and the company commander said, hey, who needs a smoke break? Well, I was sitting in the front row, and I raised my hand and you know, kind of looked around me, and I was the only one that raised my hand. And the company commander said, oh, good, come with me. So we went out there. He says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Take that bucket. So I pick up a bucket, walk outside. He goes, scoop some sand in it, scoop some sand in it. Follow me. Follow him out. He goes, okay. And there's a bunch of guys. There's benches and there's squares. You know, it's just regular, like, sidewalk squares. And they lead up to the benches, which are closest to the building. And he says, this is our square right here. Furthest one away from the building, no benches. You stand there. He says, you put the bucket in the middle. He says, go ahead, light up. So I lit up. Had a cigarette. And he says, how long has it been since you had a cigarette? I said, I don't know, a couple days or something. He said, oh, well, I'll just let you have one. And, you know, I had one. He goes, okay, take it, put it in the bucket, put it in the bucket, put it out. He says, pick up your bucket, follow me, walk back. <clears throat> And we walk back, and he clean the cigarette butts out, throw them in the big thing, put dump the sand back out, put the bucket away, we go back in the classroom. And everybody's like, what happened? What happened? I said, I had a smoke break. And everybody's like, I wish I could have gone. 
chief started, what the fuck? Is he the only one with enough guts to say he needed a smoke break? And it's like, okay, yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. <laughs> Probably the only time you got away with volunteering, too. Yeah, it was. Um, one of the rumors that was going around boot camp, basic, uh, when I was in forming company, was we were going to get a new company commander. And we had seen this guy walking around as we're going to get our shots and various other things we're walking around for forming for. And he was this huge, huge black guy. And everywhere he went, if he found somebody that was walking or not, I mean, he'd yell. And you could hear him across the way just yelling at people. And we're like, holy crap. Like, you know, And I don't know... and. It, where the rumor got started, but all of a sudden it was coming, he's going to be our company commander. So we're informing, we're standing there waiting, our company commander comes in, and it's just short little guy, and, you know, who's being really kind of gruff and yelling, and he was uh, Quartermaster Chief Flynn, never forget him either, and he just walks up and down looking at us, staring at us, and he goes, you know what? I don't think I've ever seen a bunch of worthless maggots in my life. I can't even whip you guys into shape. <clears throat> no way, shape, or form can I do this by myself. I'm going to need help. And we're all standing, you know, okay, what's, what's going to happen? And in walked through the door, and I swear to God at the time he had to duck to get in the door, he was that tall, was BM1 Green. And he just looked at us and said the same thing he said to us every time he saw us, day or night. Hello, ladies. And it's like, oh. And he goes, I'm going to enjoy the shit out of this. And he pretty much did. Uh, he was the one that really got to crank us out and do all this stuff. And uh, it was just, he just, uh, he was just the most evil person at the time we thought he was. And, and later on, I, there was a uh, meeting the chief had with us when BM1 Green wasn't around or something. And he said, uh, um, He's a tough guy, but you got to respect him because he's a black guy. And he's been in the Coast Guard before, you know, he joined the Coast Guard when black people weren't really that respected. And the only thing they thought they could do was be stewards and, and maybe even a cook. And he was a bosun's mate. And, uh, I mean, not that anybody in our company would ever disrespect BM1 Green ever, but <clears throat> he... Uh, he, he was a hard guy. He was really hard. So, <clears throat> kind of go back. I think I know what it means. But form, you said forming. That's forming you guys into your squads. Right. Forming's our, forming was the first week. That's the week you get your uniforms. You stenciled them. You get your Blue Jackets manual, which is the Coast Guard's manual. Um, you had to read chapters. You were supposed to learn about Coast Guard history. Um, I was in... A little bit better way than everybody else because I'd read everything I could about the Coast Guard, so I knew what the Coast Guard did, and I knew you know the Roger B. Taney was the Coast Guard vessel that was at Pearl Harbor and was supposedly the first American vessel to fire in anger at the Japanese, and you know just all those things that you know the Navy denies and stuff like that. <clears throat> well, not not to get too much into history, but. Uh... I know not many people know that a lot of the ships at D-Day, the landing craft, were piloted by Coasties. Yep, they were. So, um, I know, again, a lot of people don't consider the Coast Guard an armed service or a part of the military sometimes, but they're, come times of conflict or war, they're right there, so. Right, um, 
you know, just pff, sidebar, I, I read a story about the um, Coast Guard cutters at uh, D-Day, 82-footers, and the Navy had it all rigged up to get these cutters, and all they would do was go in and rescue guys that got knocked off or their landing craft sunk or swamped or whatever. All they did was circle around under fire and pick these guys up and get them on another landing craft and get them ashore. And the Navy said they didn't have enough people for this. And it was a meeting with Franklin Roosevelt and a bunch of these other people. And Franklin Roosevelt himself said, well, get the Coast Guard. They're really good at that sort of thing. <laughs> so, you know, and all those 82-footers were manned by the Coast Guard. All right, so boot camp started. You are starting to realize that it's not going to be a walk in the park just because it's Coast Guard. No. Um, how long does boot camp last? Boot camp was nine, one week of forming and nine weeks of basic training, which your last week was not, there was, you were pretty much graduating. You were done. You've taken all your tests. You've gotten uh, an idea of what you're going to do in the Coast Guard career. So you're just, I mean, you still went to, you still got up at every, with everybody else. You still went to calisthenics. Um, your, your barracks were still inspected, but they were inspected by your company commander, no other people. And just to make sure that you guys didn't slack. And sometimes when we slacked, we had to do push-ups and get yelled at. <clears throat> um, one such time, BM1 Green again came in to the squad bay and just start yelling. And he's picking up racks and just slamming them down and yelling. And he's got this huge grin on his face. And he's like, that's it, that's it, that's it. Get outside. Form it up. You know, company commander, get him outside. Go outside. And he marches us to this empty squad bay. And we're standing behind it. And he just looks at us all and goes, I want you to see if you guys can act. And we're like, what? He goes, smoke them if you got them, but I'm going to start yelling. All I want to hear from you is, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and he's just walking up and down. We're smoking cigarettes and pretty much at ease, and he's just screaming his guts out, you know, you think you can do this? And am I talking to anybody? I'm like, sir, yes, sir. And it's just reverberating and all this stuff. And he about 30 minutes just screaming his guts out. He's All the time he's got this grin on his face, and then he goes, form them up. We form up, walk back out, and all the other companies are looking at us just like, holy crap, that's graduating company. Look, at they just got their dicks knocked in the dirt. Oh, my God, you know. And all the company commanders are going, you guys think it's easy in 10th week? It ain't easy in 10th week. It's blah, blah, blah. And so we're like all like, and Green's like, if you guys tell anybody, if you tell a soul, I will, I'll make sure you stay here. No, it was just... We're like, all right, you know, hey, maybe, maybe this guy is human. <laughs> so last week of boot camp is like being a senior in high school. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I so, mean... Yeah. As long as you don't screw up and go through the motions right, you're okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't... You, you go to calisthenics, and um, every week you're there, they add another, whatever, repetition of, of, of calisthenics. And the first week does one repetition, then they go to the chow. Second week does two repetitions, they go to chow. Graduating company does one repetition and goes to chow. So, you know, there, there's no sense in keeping you there. Um, if you want to, you can. No one ever did. Just, you know, okay, we're here. Goodbye. And, you know, um, 
we didn't have to run back to the squad bay and I mean, we had to make sure our racks were made and all that kind of stuff, but we weren't going to be inspected. And as we didn't look like absolute dog shit, we were going to, you know, <clears throat> make it through. So we'd, you know, take our time and, and have a little bit, we were at a little bit more at ease because we knew that we were going to. You'd made it. We'd made it, yeah. So, all right. So after boot camp, you get first assignment. Yep. And. You've got Coast Guard Cutter Evergreen, right? Yep. I um, we you're all you're all putting this big old huge. Well, you're the company is in a room, and there on the board is, and I had heard stories that if you graduated honor man, that you got first pick of all the billets, and if you were you know your class standing, you got to go up to the board and pick, and that wasn't the way it was for us. We. We were all assigned. I don't know what it was based on. I don't know what, but it was like <clears throat> McIntyre had WAGO 297 or 295. So I'm like, well, through being through all the classes and stuff, W was the designator for Coast Guard vessel. And AGO, no one knew what that was. So everybody's making stuff up, saying, "Oh, that's a that's a Coast Guard Air Group office. You're going to an Air Group," and it's like, "Okay, Air Group in New London, Connecticut. I don't. There's no Air Group. Oh, it's probably at the Academy. Like, all right, whatever, you know. But why does it say two nine five? And no one, you know, they're all just making shit up. They have no idea. No one knows what a WAGO is. WAGB was an icebreaker." And, you know, no one knew, so, okay, whatever. And uh, 10 days leave after boot camp, you report to New London, Connecticut, and WAGO 295 Evergreen. Like, okay. So that's where I was going to go. So what year was this? This was March of 1977. So just a little history on the <coughs> Evergreen. Uh, it was commissioned in 1942. Uh, the, we were actually talking about this before the podcast. So that's World War II wartime. Uh, the keel was laid in April 15th of 42, and it was launched in July 3rd, 1942. Uh, so that's... And then put into service, I'm assuming that's what commission means, in 1943. Yep. Yep. Uh, it started as a... Um, I had it. It was a tugboat, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It, so it was a buoy tender, you know, multi Basically, it was a jack-of-all-trades type of boat. Uh, and then in the 70s, it was actually or uh, converted over to uh, Coast Guard, uh, ice cutting. Right, icebreaker. So, yes. Yep. So... Uh, and then the boat was finally decommissioned in 1990, where and then two years after that, it was transferred over to the U.S. Navy and was shot and sunk as target practice. Yep. Yeah, it was, um, at the time, <clears throat> yeah, because that says it was a medium endurance cutter, which was after it changed. When I got to it, it was a WAGO, which is an oceanographic ice-breaking buoy tender, which is... It was like a, a bastard ship. It was the only one the Coast Guard had. It was on the west East Coast, and it did ice-breaking duties 
and it also uh, served as an oceanographic survey vessel. So whenever we went out, we had scientists from Woods Hole and everybody else doing oceanographic studies and studying currents and sea life and all that stuff. And we were supposed to always, at all times, report any and all whale sightings or anything else we saw while we're standing in the freezing North Atlantic on the Flying Bridge. So you guys were chaperones? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, I had the greatest time of my life on, on the Evergreen on a ship. I had never been on any lake bigger than one of the Great Lakes and never in a big vessel like that. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, and I knock wood, I was luckier than hell, I never got seasick once. And there was one storm we were in the North Atlantic that even old the old sea hands were green on the gills, and I was not sick at all. I'd eat chow and... Hmm, the lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, well, I remember in... Uh, Kodiak in Alaska, we went, we went halibut fishing. Yep. About 20 foot waves? Oh, they weren't that big. <laughs> they may have felt like it. They I, were big. Anyway, it was rough. It I was, was what, six? Five? Six or seven. So, no, they were, six, they, think, to yeah. me, they were 20 foot waves. Yeah. And I just remember we all were sick as dogs except for you and the captain. Yep. Yeah, that was. And I know, and, and, and your mom was mad because I wasn't down there with you guys. By the time I went, when I did go down there, you guys were all asleep, and she was just she was still green in the gills and just going, "Oh yeah, this is fun." <laughs> and I'm like, you "Come up top, and you can if you watch the waves and know right. what's going on, you you're not going to get sick." Yeah. But no, she wouldn't do it. And then of course we rounded Whale Island there, and it all it just got calm, and we just let you guys sleep. And I think your mom fell asleep until we were started fishing. But yeah, it was. All right. Now, cutting back to the Evergreen, and we talked about how it was commissioned in World War II. It actually had um, one three-inch slash 50 single, which I'm assuming is it was a main a gun. gun. Yeah, it's a main gun, yeah. Uh, two 20-millimeter 80s, which yeah. I'm assuming, obviously it's more a, guns. Yeah, but 20 20-millimeter 20 pom-pom. The, the crazy part is the uh, the two depth charge racks. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming in case they ran into a U-boat. Probably. Um, and then, I don't I have no idea what the mouse traps I, yeah, are. Yeah, I was looking at that. And then four Y guns. Y guns are just the depth charges that go off and okay. fire it off the side. So and those lasted until nineteen forty five and then after nineteen sixty six there was obviously that was all removed. Um, we had fifties. I was gonna say, however, you have pictures in right. your book of you guys shooting M sixteens and, and fifty cals. Yep. And do you still have the rack of uh was that That was twenty millimeter. 20 I mil? found those. Okay. Actually those are from the um one of my deployments from the um, Phalanx. Oh, yeah. Okay. So how long were you on the Evergreen? I was on the Evergreen from March until October of 77, which was lucky. Is that I, short? or? That's very short because when I, I, I put in for ASM school in boot camp, and I, I wear glasses. I wore glasses back then. And I had found that in order to be aviation, you could wear glasses, but your vision had to be correctable to 2020. My vision's correctable to 2020, so I put in for aviation. And all these people are like, you're not going to get aviation, you wear glasses. You're not going to get aviation, you wear glasses. I went and had my flight physical, and the doc's like, you know, take glasses off, do the do this eye chart. Okay, put your glasses on, do the eye chart. Yeah, you're correctable to 2020. You're good to go. So... 
Of course, being in boot camp, being the only person that wants to be an Airedale, I got dogged a lot. But um, I wanted to be an ASM, and they're telling me, it's a two-year wait. That's a long time to be a non-rate on a ship. And I, I, I know what I want to do, get to the Evergreen. And, I mean, I had fun. I, I was great fun with those guys. We were all um, having a great time. Um, but, I mean, even after that short period of time, I realized that this is a long-ass time to be waiting for an A school. <clears throat> and my good friend, Mick Latina, and by then I was, you know, oh, you want to be an aviator, you can go be a wardroom mess cook, which is no one wants to be a mess cook on a ship. <laughs> All you do is you work hard and you don't do anything. I mean, you work every single day. You don't get a day off. You don't get any real leisure time. Um, and it's just, it's like the worst duty you can have on a ship. And that's what I got. Wardroom mess cook. And I hated it. And I asked my friend, I said, man, you know, how the heck can I get off this and get back on, you know, deck force and doing watches? And he goes, go tell boats. Or she says, go take out your BM course. Tell boats you want to strike BM. And then just be inept. <laughs> you know? <laughs> just don't, you know, don't pass your test. And hopefully, you know, A school will come along. So it's like, all right. So I, I, I didn't tell the bosun mate. I went and put in for my BM course, and the word got around. He come out. And he says, I, I heard you put in your, your for your bosun mate course. I said, Yeah, I did. I just, you know, I, I got to do something. And the very next day, I was not wardroom mess cook, and I was back on deck force, you know, doing watches and all this cool stuff. And I'm like, Yeah, this is awesome. And uh, we came back from a trip one time, and I happened to be the duty crew that had to stay on board. And this was back in the day when um, the married guys would pay you 20 bucks to take their duty so they could go home. You know, guys, wives, and kids, they want to go home and see that, you know, they'd pay you 20 bucks and you'd take their duty and just, you know, do the swap and you'd do all the paperwork to make sure it's all right. And I, I didn't take anybody's because I happened to just have the duty and we're sitting there one one day and uh our corpsman comes up uh doc brown and he says hey. no way yeah <laughs> <laughs> he says tony brown he says hey matt we just got this weird phone call and i said oh okay you know and, and you're telling me this why and he says well and i had my bm course right fresh there from the mail <coughs> and he goes it was from ASM school, wanted to know if we still had a, a Seaman McIntyre that wanted to go to A school. And that's you. And I'm like, yeah, that is me. And he goes, well, we'll have to wait for the skipper, but, you know, and see what's going on. But I guess they're looking at you to go to A school. So I'm like, oh, sweet. So I went right back to the ship's office. I handed him my course and said, I don't want to read. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do anything to jeopardize this. So I, all right, well, the the guy that had watch, the chief, comes down and he says, hey, this is kind of real thing. They, they do want you to go to A school. You have to wait for the skipper to give approval, but you have to sign this page seven. And a page seven goes in your record, and some are good, some are bad, but you just, you're basically acknowledging something, either punishment or, you know, and he goes, you better read this. So I read through it, and it says, you know, 
upon going to ASMA school, blah, 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 you, um, you agree to make a minimum of one free fall parachute jump with a parachute you pack. And, you know, sign an acknowledgement. So I sign my name on it, hand it back to him. And he looks at me and goes, you are fucking nuts. And he just shakes his head, takes my page seven, goes away. And I'm like, man, and everybody's like, man, you're going to A school. That's unheard of, you know. Wow, good luck, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, long story short, the captain, of course, I was in the wardroom, and I'm hiding off in the pantry, and he gets a phone call. It's a couple of days later. <clears throat> and, you know, Captain you, Captain Sherman, you have a phone call. And he picks it up, and he goes, yep. Oh, hang on. He goes, he goes McIntyre, I know you're in there listening. You might as well come out here. Well, I come around the corner. And he says, yeah, he's here right here in front of me. And he says, uh, oh, he says, McIntyre, you want to go to ASM school? Yes, sir. I said, yeah, he does. And he says, you have to make a parachute jump. Yes, sir. He shakes his head and goes, I'll send him. He's off in the head, but I'll send him. And he goes, when does he have to be there? And it was like the end of the week. And he goes, yeah, cut the orders. I'll send, yeah, I'll sign him. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not going to deny you a right to do what you want to do in the Coast Guard, but Jesus Christ, aviation? You know, okay. <laughs> but so then I was on my way there. That's weird because to me, uh, obviously you, in my lifetime, you were always aviation. Right. So to me, that's a huge part of the Coast Guard when in reality it's it's not. No, the, the Coast Guard is the red-headed stepchild of the military and aviation is the red-headed stepchild of the of the Coast Guard because there's not there's, you're not well liked in the, the Coast Guard. <laughs> I, I remember growing up, guys would name like, oh yeah, so and so down in like to me it sounded like a world away, you know, down in Florida, and you're like, oh yeah, I know that guy. You know, they're all ASM, you know, uh, flight mechanics and all that stuff, and so that just goes to show how small a how small could the Coast Guard is and than how much smaller aviation is. Yeah, it so. is. It's, it's, it's a tiny... But I think... Oh, cripes. There was like 16 air stations at the time, all scattered across, you know, from Alaska all the way down to uh, Puerto Rico. And it might be more than that. I can't remember now. But it, it was a small, small field of Coast Guard. And uh, for... Back in the day, the Coast Guard in aviation, the E-7s got to wear khaki like the officers, and their dress shoes were brown, not black. And then so that was divided between the, the Airedales, who were brown shoes, and the uh, black shoes, who were people on the boats. And even to this, well, I don't know, to this day, but when I was in, we were still called brown shoes, even though we wore black shoes like everybody else, but we were still called brown shoes. And we called those guys the black shoes. So, all right. So, for those who don't know, what does ASM stand for? Aviation Survivalman. Okay. And what was so obviously you go to A school. Yep. Um, and how long is that? That's basically boot camp again. <clears throat> for the Navy, it is. I mean, you're you're. It's it's boot camp without the actual screaming because in the Navy they'd been through boot camp and they had some idea of uh, courtesies and you know this but but at a school we had to march 
everywhere we went. You weren't allowed to be in a single person going anywhere unless you had a dental or a doctor's appointment. Um, but you marched everywhere. You had to march as a class. You had to have um, attendance slips. And it was basically just like boot camp again. And when I went to A school, there were um, five Coast Guard guys that were in my class. And we found out that you have to have a minimum of four to march. And we're like, hey, we're five. So we can march just the Coast Guard guys. And we'd take turns being in charge because we were all E3s. And a lot of the guys in the Navy were, and Marine Corps was there too. Um, a lot of those guys were E1s, E2s, and we were all E3s. There might have been a few E3s, but so we're like, ah, well, just, you know. And we'd always delay, and they'd go out, and they'd march off, and we'd form up in our little, you know. One of us would be take turns being the leader, and the other four would march, and we'd all, you know. And we would look like, purposely look like crap. I mean, <laughs> bobbing our heads. And, uh, I remember um, one of the guys I was with, Jeff Heck, he loved to put his hands in his pockets, which is a military no-no, especially when you're around Marines. And it'd be like, if I see your hands in your fucking pockets again, I'm cutting them off. And Jeff would always just like whip them out real quick. And I don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, we just, and anything we could to do to, to, to separate the Coast Guard guys from the Navy guys and Marine guys, we would do. And we, um, our class leader was uh, ASM-1 Shaw, and uh, our assistant was uh, ASM-2 Terry Hallmark, and I would be stationed with Terry later. But uh, Don Shaw was, uh, he'd been in the Coast Guard forever. And he, his wife was a nurse, and he lived in a super nice house, and it happened to be two doors down from the captain of the base. So they were friends socially, and, and, and uh, their wives were friends. And we ended up going to Don's house a lot, and it was our sanctuary. And he just thought the world of us, because we were just, we'd do anything we could to just get under the skin of the Navy and Marines. And this was a school run by the Navy, right? A school run by the Navy. Yeah, it was in Lakehurst, New Jersey, where the Hindenburg blew up. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, we, that's, and then, uh, God, we had we had a lot of fun at that school. We we did a lot of things we probably shouldn't have done. I we when we were in the old there was old barracks and they moved us into new barracks. And by some act of God, the Coast Guard guys, we got room one eleven, which was we had um, you could come in the back door, which was always supposed to be locked with a guard, but if. You, you could be friendly with guys and they'd leave it unlocked and we were right there. But if you had to go through the main door, you you couldn't bring in any outside food, you couldn't bring in any outside drink. Well, we're on the bottom floor, so we'd park over by that door, walk around, open the window, pass in our six-pack of beer and our pizza, and then walk through the main door and, they, you know, okay. And then the next day we're taking out our trash and there's pizza boxes and, you know, empty six-pack and they're like, how the hell did you guys get that in your room? We're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, A school was fine. I, we ran through this stuff and it was, it was, the school was set up for, I swear to God, it had to be a fifth grade education. 
we had to go through, the first class was core. When we finally, we were there holding on holding for forever until we could get a full class. And I don't know why, but we did. But the first class was core. And the first book we got was hand tools and their use. And you open it up, it's like, this is a crescent wrench. <laughs> this is a screwdriver, a straight slot. This is a screwdriver. It is a cross section. It's it called a Phillips. And we're like, cripes, why don't we go into why it's called a Phillips? And it was just, and we're whipping through these books, and it was supposed to be self-paced. And core was two weeks long, and we're whipping through the book, turning them in, and they're like, oh, you guys got, you know, 97%, 100%, 100%. You know, what the heck's going on? We're like, this is all common sense. So we, but we did, we go through, and the only thing I think that really upset us all was uh, when we went through sewing phase, which was two weeks, and we had to learn how to sew on sewing machines, and that messes up everybody. And the instructor, I'll never forget him either, was Staff Sergeant Rast, and he would sit in there. I mean, we'd go through, and we learned how to do it, <clears throat> and he has this tally mark on the chalkboard in front, and he's just sitting there, and we're supposed to practice sewing, just sewing straight lines and doing curves and doing all this crapola, how to put in zippers and all this other stuff. And um, a friend of mine, Lou Galeazzo, who's in the Coast Guard, when you when they get a runaway, it just the machine just goes nuts. And Lou would always yell, buzz, buzz. And you hear this guy's yell, buzz. And they'd go, son of a bitch. And Rass would just get up from his desk, go to the board, put another tally mark on it, walk over to the student, lift the needle out of his finger, you know, wrap a Band-Aid on it, go, dumbass. Keep your fingers away from the needle. It's like, oh, the tally marks is how many people <laughs> sewed their fingers. Okay, that's cool. And I think in two, we were done with that class. And I don't know. I think it, it took us longer than we we thought it should have. But I think we were done like three days early. And then we had to go around and help all the Navy guys and Marines, you know, learn how to sew. And so, yeah, that was, that was a fun part. <laughs> how... I mean, I'm not that I sew often, like ever, but it, I've seen people, and I'm sure it's one of those things that when you get good at it, you could do amazing things with it, but to sew a straight line seems like you just put it in and go. Yeah, but it can veer off to one side, and when we start, they put chalk on a piece of fabric, and you try to make it go, you know, on the on the chalk line. And we're like, okay. And when you got done, you had to take it off. You had to secure your machine and tilt it up and the whole thing. And if you didn't, you got in trouble. And we walk up to Staff Sergeant Rast, hand it to him, and he'd try to rip it apart and look at it and look at your stitches on the bottom and top and go, yep, you know. And he'd just sign it with white pen and, you know, sign it, throw it, you know, throw it in his pile, you're done, and hand you two pieces of fabric and you'd go to your next one. So... It very much like high school in like wood shop. Yeah. Here's two pieces of wood. Don't you know, oh, yeah. don't, don't nail yourself to it. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it, the the funnest time we had was in between on when you first start there on Tuesday and Thursday, you went to the parachute loft and you practiced packing parachutes and they did all this stuff. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, when you were done at packing, you would go do the PLF classes, which is parachute landing fall. And Lakers trained um, Navy and Marine Corps parachutists. And I don't know 
I don't even know the history of it, but they had the big towers like they have at um, the army bases where, you know, they hoist you up in a parachute and then cut you loose in your parachute and you land in the dirt, you practice, you know, doing your landing. And uh, the towers were no longer in use when we were there, so we just jump off platforms into mats and just practice doing your parachute landing fall. And you were up there and they'd just, you know, roll to your right, roll to your left, roll to your right, roll to your left. And, you know, critiquing you and telling you, you know, you just broke an ankle, you got to do it this way and blah, blah, blah. And we did that every Tuesday and Thursday until I can't remember what week we were in, but then it started to be every um, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And then I, I can't remember. Somebody got a wild hair up their butt and said we had to be in physical shape. So we started doing PT on, we'd go to the parachute loft and we'd have to go do PT with these, with the Marines, which their big thing would be jog around Hangar 1, which is the Hindenburg. And when you jogged around Hangar 1, it was roughly pretty close to a mile. So that would be their run as they just leave the, Paraloft, run around Hangar 1 and come back, and it would be a mile run. And some of these guys, Marine instructors, were, were smokers, and these guys would run at the front of everybody else because we ran in formation, and we get back to the barracks, and the first thing they do is pull out a cigarette. It's like, oh, my God, you know? This guy's 30 years old, and he's just... But um, it was just... Some of the best time I had, even though we started doing PT and doing all that stuff, because you have to be in physical shape to make a parachute jump. Well, you do now, so you do PT pretty much throughout your career. That was like a standard thing. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. We um, once I got done with parachute rigger school, the most most physical training we would do was when we had time on the weekends and you know to do fun stuff but we didn't know i not i mean once there was a rumor when i was in port angeles that the captain wanted us to start doing pt everybody line up in front of the building in the morning and we do calisthenics and then run you know run to the main gate and back which might have been a half a mile and it never it never came to fruition so scare you guys into do it yourself i guess i mean yeah. But. So, A school, parachute rigger school. Yep. How long before you jump him? We went, I know that we went, we started, uh, the actual class started, oh gosh, I, it wasn't October. I think the whole month of October we were waiting, but he started in November. And then they, they came to us and said, hey, in December, if we have enough people stay here for the class, we'll run classes through the holidays because permanent party lives on the base. And we'll run classes through. You guys won't miss any school. And you can, you'll graduate, you know, at the end of January. So us five Coast Guard guys are like, yeah, we'll just stay here and do that. So we did. And, but, of course, they said, well, there's not enough students. So, you know, you're going to stay in we're not going to have any classes, so it's going to look like you're going to graduate the first part of February. Well, the Coast Guard, we couldn't leave or graduate until we had made that parachute jump. So our class graduates, and a, just an aside or a super hilarious story, at least to us, we, 
at the parachute loft, they had a uh, the, what everybody calls the ghee dunk, just a snack bar. Um, you could get pop. I think they had a deep fryer, so they had fries, and you can go there and get snacks and yada, yada. And all us Coast Guard guys were sitting in a booth and, you know, shooting the breeze and having this stuff. And a Marine uh, warrant officer walked in, and the Marines yell, attention on deck. And we all look and go, oh, it's a warrant. Well, we don't jump on deck for a warrant officer. I mean, you know. So he just strides right over to our booth and just stands there and looks at us. And we're like, how's it going, sir? You know, I mean, and in the Coast Guard, you're all equal on a mess deck. So we're like, this is a mess deck. You know, you don't have to come to attention and salute people. And the Marines are all standing at attention. And he looks down at us. He goes, this is the biggest group of titless waves I've ever seen in my life. And we're like, oh, that's, you know, hey, haven't heard that one before. You know, that's funny. And he pulls up a chair and he sits down. We're like, um... Sir, the Marines are still at attention. He goes, fuck them. And we're all like, uh... He goes, are you guys going to jump with a parachute that you packed from an airplane? We're like, yeah. And he goes, not one of these sons of bitches in this room is going to except you five titless waves. I don't know what the hell I can do with these guys. So, yeah, none of the Marines or the Navy guys were going to wait to make a parachute jump. It wasn't mandatory for them. They didn't have to. Oh, shit. So this warrant officer was extremely pissed that none of his Marines, gung-ho Marines, were going to stay and make a parachute jump. And he let it be known. And from that day forward, and we didn't even bother to tell him that, you know, we had to. We already signed the paper saying we had to. And, you know, so, nope, we're going to jump. We're going to jump. And uh, I, God, we were on hold for a, a, I, another two weeks. We were there till almost the end of February. And, I mean, there were times when they, you know, we'd run into a classroom or wherever we were, and they'd go, we're jumping. We'd run to the parachute loft, grab our parachutes, put our, our, um, our suits on, get our helmets on. We'd get on the bus. We'd run to the airfield, and they'd go, nope, it's too windy. Can't send students out. It's too windy. Come back. Come back. Oh. No, can't go because we had too much snow in the field. The landing area hasn't been plowed yet. Can't go. Or we'd get there in the airplane and go, nope, the airplane's broke. Can't go. So oh, just one day, it was, it, was, it was early. I think it was in March because we'd been through there for Valentine's Day and the whole nine yards. And they came and got us, and I'm, I think Lou came and got me. I was painting somewhere, doing something. I was temporarily assigned. <clears throat> and Lou goes, we're jumping. I'm like, yeah, we've heard this before. He goes, no, I think we are. You know, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's cold, but it's, you know. So we go put all our stuff on. We get in the airplane. The airplane starts up, and all the instructors, it was instructor, student, instructor, student, instructor, student. And we'd been through the thing before. And it's, you know, check your gear, you know. It's the same thing, you know. Stand up. We all stood up. And the red light goes on. The door opens up. We're like, oh, man, this is cool. <laughs> And the instructor's like, okay, you know, check the guy in front of you, check the guy behind you, you know, thumbs up. Everybody's got a thumbs up. It's like, okay, we're all ready to go. And then the light turns green, the instructor goes out. And I think Lou was in front of me. And Lou jumps out and it comes to, you know, and the instructor goes, boom, he goes. And I put my hands in the door and the instructor taps me on the shoulder. And, and he, it, I learned this later. It's like, oh, Christ. And I went out the door. And as I go, I'm looking. You're falling, and 
you'll never forget anything like this. I'm falling and I'm looking through my legs at the airplane getting smaller. And it's like, that is really cool. I don't even feel like I'm falling. <laughs> and they're like, oh shit. And the instructors have these, the parachutes that they can turn and all this stuff. And I hear this, McIntyre, are you fucking counting? I'm like, uh, one, two, three, yeah, three. And I pull, pull my parachute, go up. And the instructor's like, good canopy. You're good. You're good to go. And then he goes off, you know, flying around. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I look and I have my ripcord in my hand. So I stuffed it in my jacket because when you land and I, you know, floating down, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Look, I can see the ocean. And I'm like, oh, crap, where's the landing place? And it was behind me. So, you know, you tug and tug and you get lined up. And the instructors are there and, you know, it, you, you're staggered in such a spot that, you know, the instructor's like, you're getting close, eyes on the horizon, do not look down, you know, and 20 feet, 10 feet, toes point, you know, and so you do your PLF, and I happened to land in snow that was probably about three feet deep, and I'm trying to roll over, and I can't, and grab my parachute, and I go slogging back, and the instructors all have binoculars, and they go, who the fuck is that? And I look, and the guy that jumped after me is on the ground. And we look up, and, and George, who's another guy in our class, goes, that's Lou. He's got two canopies. <laughs> and we're like, what the hell? And he goes, he put out his reserve shoe. So we're like, what the hell? And he goes, god damn it. And then he, the instructor goes, oh, oh shit. And he looks, and the whole back of his parachute's just open. Well, he had a line over, and when it opened up, the it just... Cut right through it. Cut right through it and just ripped it all to hell. And when he looked up and saw it, he threw out his reserve. So, But it's taken him forever to get down because basically he's got a parachute in half. And, you know, so the instructors say, oh, you know, okay, good job. You know, he did good. But the other guys, the instructors couldn't stay up long enough because he's just so slow. And, of course, Lou lied and said he weighed 205 pounds, so he got a 35-foot parachute <laughs> instead of a 28-foot like the rest of us So he because he didn't want to land fast. So he's got this huge canopy and then his reserve canopy. And, you know, when he got down, the instructor's like, hey, you know, good decision. Put out your reserve. You lost a couple, you know, the back of your parachute. Good decision. Jesus Christ, you don't weigh 200 pounds. <laughs> he goes, well, I wouldn't want to fall that fast. Well, like God, you know, <laughs> we'd like to be sometime tonight. So, yeah, then we made our jump and we got to graduate. So, Yeah, you still have your Yes, I still right have there. my ripcord, yes. Because when we got there, the instructor's like, who has their ripcord? Which was a, a rite of passage, of, you know, because most everybody pulls a ripcord and throws it. And... He goes, who still has a ripcord? And I pull mine out. I held it up. And he goes, no, you don't. You might want to keep that. I'm like, okay. So I stuffed it back in my jacket. Yeah, there it is. So So then what happens? Obviously. So actually, before that, like, this point, this is your second, what they call it, deployment or assignment? Uh, yeah, it was, this was A school. This was, you know... I graduate this, I can go into, I'll, I'll be in aviation. I will go to an air station, which will be my first air station, but technically my second unit. So, but at this point, you have like an everyday routine. Like it's kind yeah. of falling into the job category. Well, not really, because it's, it's school still. Okay. And you have to do everything the Navy way. And you have to do everything, 
on, you know, like we said on Tuesday and Thursday, we did it the Navy way. On Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we did it the Marine way. And we just, the, the, the Navy ran the school, but they had, I mean, they had a major who was in charge of the school. They had a cap, a Navy captain who was in charge of the command, the whole school, because it wasn't just parachute rigger school. They had aviation bosun mates. They had aviation fuelers. They had all kinds of aviation rates at Lakehurst. So and they took a Hangar 1, which was where the Hindenburg was. It was big enough. They had a mock-up of an aircraft carrier, and that's where the Navy guys trained on towing airplanes into spots, oh, fueling airplanes in spots, you know, and they had real airplanes on this thing and they, you know, tow them and, you know, granted the ship's not rocking and rolling, but that's yeah, start somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, but that's where they learned, you know, and learned all the, the signals and all this stuff, you know, cause you have ear protection on and your helmets on. So basically and your goggles. So, you know, you have to know exactly what your job is. So, so at that point, you were waiting for. Well, just... same thing. When we were at that school, we um, put in for where we wanted to go. And I knew there's a list of all the air stations in the Coast Guard. Where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to Traverse City because Traverse City is close enough to go home. I can go home and far enough away that I don't have to all the time. And I knew we, we vacationed in Traverse City when I was a kid. So I knew, you know, there's a Coast Guard Air Station there. So everybody, all five of us Coast Guard guys got, um, Dave Jardine got San Francisco, and he's from, I don't know, someplace close to San Francisco. Um, no, George got um, North Carolina, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. He's from North Carolina. Jeff Heck is from Topeka, Kansas, but he didn't give a shit where he went. <laughs> he went to New Orleans. Um, Lou was on from the West Coast, and he went to uh, Los Angeles, which he was happy with. And I was from Michigan, and I went to Traverse City, so we all got our choices. And, you know, it all came up. And um, when I was at A school, you know, the Navy guys were like, Coast Guard guys, Coast Guard, ooh, you know, shallow water sailors, you know. What did you do? I joined the Navy so I could see the world. And all the orders came out. We're like, hey, where are you going? And they'd be like, God damn it, I got the Kitty Hawk. I'm going to be in the Mediterranean. Like, well, I'll go see the world, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got what you want. <laughs> hey, oh, man, they complained about, you know, I'm going to be on an aircraft carrier. Well, you're in aviation now. Guess what? And that's what you wanted. Jeez, <laughs> oh, Pete. So, yeah, I got, I got uh, Traverse City, Michigan, out of A school. So then... Um, I think with graduating and you got, um, I think it was a week's leave after A school. I went home, spent a week at home, and then it was end of March, early part of April that I had to report to Traverse City. So, and at that time you are fixed wing, not. Well, at that time I was in aviation, but I hadn't been. I'm not qualified in any aircraft. At oh, okay. All. So, I mean, the only thing at A school, in ASM, in, when, in the Coast Guard Aviation, ASM was a, they combined the two rates of a parachute rigger and an aviation ordinanceman together to make aviation survivalmen. So 
we did not only life rafts and parachutes and um, learned to sew in flight suits and all that kind of thing. We also learned um, the Mark 58 bomb racks and uh, um, the small arms, the M16, the 45 shotguns. We learned how to, you know, field strip them, clean them, and all that stuff because the ASMs at air stations were in charge of all the weapons. So we learned how to do those, and, and of course, the flares and all the explosive squibs for the airplane and all that. We had to learn all about those and how to do them. And, and, um, and of course, um, our instructors would always find ammunition, so we'd go to the range and blow off a whole bunch of ammunition. You know, I'd just load the forty five and just shoot as fast as you could at a target and then take your time. And I mean, we just, we had fun. And that was all at A school? That was all at A school, yep. So it wasn't just learning how to rig parachutes no oh, no because when well we had to go through we went through parachute rigger school with the navy parachute riggers we went through um our part the asm the survival equipment and i think the navy was just changing over to calling it um aviation survival equipment ases so we went to their classes too and then we went when that was all over with we went to what the Terry and Don called just the Coast Guard Corps, which, you know, this is our basket. This mm-hmm. is our, you know, this is a 45. Field strip it, put it back together. Um, this is our M16, you know, field strip it, put it back together, and learn how to clean it, how to take care of it, shoot rounds through it, get it dirty, clean it again, you know, and our flares. So, yeah, we did all that. Now, does every air station have weapons? Not anymore. I was going to say, I know in the, the Caribbean they do. Yeah, in the Caribbean they do. But, we used to, when, I was, when I got to Port Angeles later on in my career, we had, it was a group. So we had, God, I think we had 25 M16s, 30, 45s, 7 or 8 shotguns, and we were in charge of those all the time. And then, again, I was stationed with Terry Hallmark, who was my instructor at A school, and him and I would go to the range and just <laughs> blow off rounds just for something to do. All right, so at this point, you are in aviation, but not flying. Right. And assigned to Traverse City. Yep. I think that's a good place to stop for today. Okay. Um, actually, I have one question before we go. Sure. Uh, you refer, referred to uh, you were an E3. Yep. And I know I kind of get the ranks of E1, 2, 3, and then you change over. What? How does that break down? Um, I Well, when you graduate A, a school... And this is where I was mistaken. When you graduate A school, you become an E4. Well, I hadn't been an E3 long enough. You have to have you have to have what's called uh, TOR t- or time on rate. I didn't have that as an E3. So when I graduated, I didn't graduate at E4. I still I was an uh, ANASM, an Airman ASM. Well, at the Navy school, our Sleeve stripes are white, but they're not black, and our uniforms are blue. Well, they don't have any airman stripes at a Navy school, so I had seaman stripes because I wasn't a, a petty officer yet. So I had to I had to wait for time and service and time and rate so I could be. So when I got to Traverse City, I was technically uh, kind of like an E three and a half. So what's the E stand for? Enlisted. Enlisted. So like obviously enlisted level one, two, three. Yep. How high does E class or whatever they call it go? E nine, unless you make master chief petty officer of the coast guard, then you're an E ten. But there's only one of those, and I know a few of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah, again, you know, aviation's small. So, 
Yeah. But E9 is as high as you can go. All right. So, that, yeah, again, that's probably it for today. Uh, next, we will start at Traverse City where you start learning how to fly. Yeah.